Good morning and welcome to Front Range. How are you guys doing today? You doing good? Come on, there you go. You guys loving the weather outside? This is beautiful. Finally feels like summer in Colorado. Hey, my name is Brandon Yates. I'm the student pastor here. And uh, we're just a church um, where we want to help you uh, build community, discover your purpose, and grow in your faith in Jesus. And if this is your first time, we would love for Front Range to become a home for you and your family. I want to let you know, coming up on June 19th, that's Father's Day, or here at Front Range, we call it Man Day. And uh, during Man Day, we're actually going to be doing baptisms. And so if you are a new follower of Christ, or maybe you've been a believer for uh, any number of time and you've never been baptized, and you want to take that next step in your faith journey, we would love for you to do that and love to be a part of that story with you. So uh, like Addison mentioned, you can actually check that box on your Connect card, or there's a little QR code there, that weird-looking box. You can just take your phone, scan it. It'll pull up a website with a, a, a link of just a bunch of different events here at Front Range, and you can click on the baptism tab there um, just to sign up to get baptized. We would love to be a part of that story. Hey, before we dive in today, I just want to take a second, and I want us to, to pray. Over the last several months, it seems like our, our country has, has gotten vastly more violent and the amount of mass shootings is, is just continuing to roll and continuing to spread. And it's ended with the loss of so many innocent lives, young and old, sons and daughters, husbands and wives, friends and family. And so I think as for me, as, as, as a human, as a husband, as a father, as a Christ follower, I find myself uh, asking a lot of questions. I find myself very angry. I find myself getting bitter and getting mad and I find myself completely heartbroken, just wondering what it is that I can do. And anger wants to take over. Hopelessness wants to take over. But I believe that Jesus is gonna win, that he is bringing hope. And so, for many of us, we've been impacted by the shootings. For many of us, we've had family members taken or, or we know people who have been impacted. And so I just wanna say I'm sorry that as a church, we will stand with you, that we will grieve with you, that we will pray with you. In any way we can, we are here to be with you in the midst of this. And then I think we have to ask ourselves, all of us, we have to ask ourselves, how can I bring change? What can I actually do? How can I better love my family? How can I better love my neighbors? How can we better love our community and the hurting in our community? I think we can ask ourselves, what's my role in creating real change in our world? I fully believe and trust that the enemy isn't going to win in this, that his plans are going to fall short and that God can and will be glorified through it. But as Christ followers, I'd like for us to take a stand and see what we can actually do to bring real change in the world. And I believe the first thing that we can do is to pray. It shouldn't be a last resort. It's not just a, a hope that something might happen. But I believe that there is power in prayer. It's what we've been talking about this whole series. It's what we're going to talk about today. But I'd like for us to take a second and just spend a moment in prayer. Would you pray with me? Jesus, we come before you. And God, we thank you that you are good. God, we thank you that you're faithful. And God, we know that this morning people are waking up, going to church, going to a bunch of different events, 
God, without family members. God, we know that people are waking up with broken hearts and shattered families. And so, Jesus, we pray that you would bring peace. We pray that you would bring hope in the midst of darkness. And God, I pray that the church would rise up and surround these families. That we would be your hands and your feet. That we would mourn with those who mourn. And God, we believe that one day that we will have joy with those who have joy. That we will laugh with those who laugh. So God, we just ask that you would give us a boldness. That you would give us courage to stand up and to do what needs to be done to be your hands and feet god we give you today would you speak to us would you give us peace in our hearts would you challenge us in jesus name and everybody said amen Amen, amen. Well, hey, we are continuing our series. We're actually wrapping up our series, Where Is God When? And uh, I, I've loved this series, just talking about prayer. But uh, some of you guys, you, you know me, you know my family, but we have three young kids. And our youngest, her name is Olivia. She just turned four. And uh, uh, Olivia is, is, is a little bit of a gangster. And, and I talk about Olivia often when I preach because she provides a lot of opportunities um, to like learn um, how to be patient um, and how to like not be too mad. Um, so Olivia loves, she loves to come into our bed in the middle of the night. Any of you guys with young kids, the kids love to come into your bed and snuggle in the middle of the night? Anybody? Just a, just a few of us. Okay, okay. Um, the rest of you, you have been um, given uh, glory from God to not have to deal with that anymore. Um, so Olivia comes into our bed almost every night, right? And she comes down the stairs, she jumps in our bed, and she kicks us to the sides of the bed, she takes the blanket, and she rustles it over, and she just yells at us for about three minutes, and she's like, my blanket, get out of here, this is my space, you're touching me. I'm like, First, you're touching me, this is my bed, right? She falls asleep, she turns sideways, she spins around, and she snores. Do you know little kids can snore so loud, it's the best. Love kids. You should do it. It's great. <laughs> really is. So, so she does this almost every night. Well, one night, Jackie and I were out. We're on a date, and so we're out late, and Grammy is there watching the kids. She puts the kids to bed, and Olivia does what she does every single night. She wakes up. She heads straight to our room. She gets in our bed, and we're not there. And so instead of just kicking us, she starts screaming. She gets mad, and she's afraid, and she's wondering, where are we? Mom and Dad, where are you? Where are you? She starts screaming. Grammy comes in. Hey, Mom and Dad are here. I'm here. It's okay. So she calms her down. She finally gets her tucked into bed, and she sleeps there the rest of the night. Jackie and I, we come home. We get in bed. We, we fall asleep, whatever. We wake up the next morning with Olivia in our face with her little four-year-old finger sticking it in our face. Where were you last night? I'm an adult. I can be wherever I want. Like, calm down. Where were you? I needed you last night. You weren't there. And then she just started to cry. The four-year-old crying is so sweet. And she puts her hand in her head. And she just cries. And so we console her, let her know everything's okay. And we give her candy. So that's all she wants to eat. And that seems to fix everything for a little kid. And we go about our day. But I think that's how some of us feel about God. 
In moments of life where there's pain, where there's worry, where there's fear, where there's opportunity for anxiety, where we're left wondering, where is God? Is, is he even here? Is, is he nearby? What, what, what's actually happening? And in these moments, where is God when I'm in need? And that's what we're going to be talking about today. Week one, we talked about where is God when bad things happen. We're talking through kind of the, the Lord's Prayer found in Matthew 6 when, when we pray and when we pray about different things happening in our lives. Last week we talked about where is God when I sin? Where is God when I mess up? And today we're talking about where is God when I'm in need? Talking about Matthew 6, 11 where it says, give us today our daily bread. Give me today what I need. Give me what I need. God, where are you when I'm in need? Sometimes I think in life, we find ourselves in situations wondering, where is God? Why haven't you shown up? Why haven't you held up to your end of the deal, right? Sometimes we like pound our chest and we think, if I was God, I could do better than you, right? If I was God, every prayer request, it's a yes. You get a car, you get a car, you get a car, right? It's like Oprah. Like everything is great, right? That probably wouldn't work out too well for us though, right? It's oftentimes not how God actually works. See, we, we think God is more like a vending machine, right? Vending machines, you don't really realize how much you need one until you see it, and then you're like, ooh, that's great. A couple years ago, I was flying to Kenya for missions, and we had a layover in Germany, and uh, in the German airport, Frankfurt airport, they had like a wall. And when I say a wall, I don't mean like that. Like, that's cool, right? And that's minor league. They had like a wall of vending machines. They made sushi. They made coffee made pizza. Did you know these things exist in the world? It's amazing. It's like a robot that can make me food, right? Fantastic. But we think God is that way where, where we, we, we go up to a vending machine and we're like, I need a Milky Way because that's the only thing worth getting out of a vending machine. And so we pull out our wallet and you pull out a dollar. I mean, with inflation, you put the dollar back and you grab your credit card. Um, you swipe your credit card. You push B9 because that's usually in the middle of where best stuff is. You get your Milky Way and you eat it and you're happy, Right? We think that that's how God should be, that, that, that if I kind of have the, the, the right formula of, of prayers or if I have the right formula of actions, then God should bless me when I ask. I remember as a young communicator, anytime I would preach, like the week before, I'd get really nervous and I'd be like, all right, God, you got to do something. And so I'd think like, if I just don't sin really bad this week, we'll be good. God will bless it. It'll be awesome, right? Like this will be fantastic. Or sometimes we think that like when we pray, if I, if I pray, I've got to get down on my knees next to my bed and I've got to cross my fingers, I've got to close my eyes, and I have to cross up. And if I do the things the right way, then when I pray, God will listen and he'll answer. But God isn't a vending machine, right? It isn't just some formula that we boom, 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 and get exactly what we want. Yeah, would it be amazing if God was a yes man? I've been there. I've prayed those prayers. I've been there. I've wanted that before, for God to just be a yes man. But that's not how he operates. But I find it funny that when we go to God, it's often only in the times we're in our, we're in our deepest need. When life has really hit us in the face with tragedy or sickness, depression, worry. Those are the things that, those are the moments that actually push us into a time of prayer. And in those moments, we're like, God, you have to do something now. And then we kind of call it good. And we're kind of done. What does scripture actually tell us about prayer? Why is it so important? Why are we doing a series on it? Well, I believe prayer actually changes things. 
That when we pray, when pray is our first response, it actually can do something. So we're going to be in the book of Philippians. Philippians was actually written by a guy named Paul, and uh, he wrote it to a church in Philippi. This was the first church in Eastern Europe that Paul planted. And so Paul goes, he plants this church in Philippi. It's in Macedonia, just above Greece. And so they plant this church. And one of the, the, the kind of big things about this area is that there were a lot of retired Roman soldiers that lived in this region. And because of that, they had a lot of pride in their nationality. They had a lot of pride in who they were. And so when Paul came in and he said, hey, the only true king is Jesus, they kind of had a problem with that. And so they started getting persecuted because of what they were preaching. And so Paul's there. He's with the church. He plants them. He helps them grow. He helps them kind of get their their feet wet and kind of start thriving in this community. And Paul goes off to preach the gospel and continue to preach the gospel. And the church, it continues to thrive, but they still are deeply persecuted for what they're trying to teach. So Paul finds himself in prison, and the church in Philippi sends this guy to Paul in prison with money. They're like, Paul's in prison, we need to get some money on his books so he can go to the yard and he can buy all the snacks and he can have some fun, right? So they send him all this money, and Paul decides to write a letter back to the church and say thank you, right? Thank you for this financial gift. Thank you for this blessing. And then he challenges them. And he says, hey, you guys are going to go through persecution. You're going to continue to go through hard things. But keep your eyes, keep your faith, keep your hope focused on Jesus. Don't allow those things to detract or to pull you away or to change your focus at all. And so in Philippians 4, starting in verse 4, this is what it says. It says, rejoice in the Lord always. I'll say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be filled or be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Now, that's just a little glimpse of this book. There's a ton of great stuff. And so I'd encourage you, go home. It's four short chapters. Read it. Sit in it. Get to know it. It's some amazing, amazing stuff. But as we read those four verses, we might be thinking, like, that's pretty basic stuff. We've heard those things. We know, pray, see, God's near, like all those things. We, 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 we say that we know them, but those basic truths oftentimes, when put into reality of real life, kind of challenge us and kind of change some things. And actually sometimes they end up pushing us away from those truths. And so we have three things that we're going to look at, that we're going to pull from this scripture, three things that I want us to know. And I don't want us to just hear them today. Because when we hear something, it goes in one ear, it goes out the other, and we're like, ah, oh, what, what just happened? I want us to know it. Where we take it in one ear, we let it sit in our heart, we let it take root. So three things I want us to know. The first is this, that we have to trust and know that God is near. It's simple. That God is near. Where is God when I'm in need? Well, he's near. He's closer than I thought. Verses 4 and 5, Philippians. It says, rejoice in the Lord always. I say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. The Lord is near. What does this mean? This means that we actually have direct access to our God. He's not only just close in proximity to us, but we have an access to him where we can actually talk to him. We can have a conversation with him. We can actually know and be known by God. He's closer than we know. 
How, uh, how many people in the audience online, out in the courtyard, you guys wear glasses? Anybody wear glasses in here? A few of us wear glasses, okay. Um, I can't tell you how many times, um, it happens a lot, how many times uh, I, I lose my glasses, right? I put them down, take them off, whatever. Um, I, I, I lose my glasses, right? And I can't tell you how many times I've lost my glasses and I'm running around the house and I'm looking for my glasses and I'm yelling at my kids, where'd you put my glasses? You broke my glasses again. And I'm looking under stuff. I'm trying to find them. And then I walk by a mirror. It's like, oh, they're on my face. Duh. Anybody, anyone with glasses ever done that? No, just me? All right, cool. How about this one? Thanks for making me feel dumb. Um, it's okay. How many of you guys, you've ever been rushing out of the house, right? You've been getting ready to go out of the house. You get a phone call. You answer the phone call. They're like, hey, what are you doing? You're like, I'm rushing out of the house. I'm trying to get out of the house. I'm trying to collect my things, but I can't leave because I can't find my phone. And then you realize you're talking on your phone. You're like, I could have left five minutes ago, right? See, sometimes in life, we're so close to something that it changes our perspective and we can't really see it. We don't really realize how close we are. And sometimes... We don't realize how close God is to us because of how comfortable we've become neglecting him. The Lord is near. Right? Check this out. There's several scriptures that point to this. Psalms 119, it says, you are near, O Lord, and your commandments are true. Psalms 34, it says, the Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit. Zephaniah 3 says, the Lord your God is with you. His power gives you victory. Acts 17, it says, he's actually not far away from each one of us. James 4 says, draw near to God. And he'll do what? And he'll draw near to you. Verse after verse shows the creator God wanting to be close to his creation, wanting to be in fellowship with us, telling us moment after moment that I'm closer than you think. I'm closer than I appear. I'm actually here with you and for you to walk with us through the ups and downs of life. The Lord is near. The second thing that I want us to know is that no matter what, we have to take it to God. No matter what we're going through, no matter what embarrassment, what darkness, what sin, whatever it is, no matter what, we have to be willing to take it to God. No matter the situation, no matter how dark it is, we have to be willing to take it to God. See, I believe that the church in America, the Western church, many of us, and even myself at times, that, 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 that we're actually kind of more uh, operating as functional atheists, where we say, yes, I believe in God. Yes, I believe that God is who he says he is. Yes, I believe in God. Yes, I come to church. And yes, I, I worship. But you know what? I don't really trust him enough to take my junk to him. I say I believe in him, but I don't trust him enough. Why? Because I, I, I believe myself a little bit better. I trust myself a little bit more. Maybe I understand, right? Our prayerlessness actually becomes our declaration of independence. And our pride actually keeps us from going to the place we were created to inhabit, the place of prayer, where God calls us to moment after moment to come to me. And yet we say, hey, I've, I've got this. I've got this. We think that, that our, our intellect, our knowledge, and our ambition is what gives us success. We think it's our, our community and our relationship that gives us purpose and meaning and belonging. We don't realize that pride has actually pulled us away from the most intimate part of our relationship with God. 
the moments of prayer. We've got to become a people whose first response is to go to God in prayer. To take everything we're going through to him. Philippians 4, 6, it says, do not be anxious about anything. But in every situation, it doesn't say in some situations or the ones that you pick and choose. It says in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. This means that we vocalize it. That we actually take it to him. That we have a conversation with him. Not because he doesn't know. Right? Like God knows everything. And when we take it to God, what does it do? It doesn't change anything on his part. He's not like, oh, now I know all the information. Thank you for filling me in. No. It actually changes something inside of us when we realize that the most important thing we can do is actually take it to him and give it to him. Turn it over to him. This word here, anxious, is used 19 different times in the New Testament. And it's the Greek word, merinao. And it means to be anxious or to be troubled with cares or to look out for something. But it also means this, to seek, to promote one's interests. And I think that it's kind of perfect that when the Bible talks about our anxiety and us being overtaken with anxiety, it's actually a picture of us being self-focused. It's actually a picture of us focusing on our needs and our desires and our anxieties and our fears and our situations when God actually says, hey, look to me. It's the same word actually used in Matthew chapter 6, verses 27, 31, and 33. This is what it says. It says, can any one of you by worrying add a single hour to your life? So don't worry saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. And all of these things will be given to you as well. But seek first his kingdom. Seek first God. We have to go to God. We go to God and we go to God with petition. What does it mean to go to God with petition? It means that we beg him for something. That we earnestly and humbly seek and actually ask God of something. And it means that we don't just ask once, like, hey, big guy upstairs, can you do this for me? Cool. And then we walk away. It means that we earnestly, persistently seek after him. That we have to become like our annoying kids in the back on a road trip saying, are we there yet? 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 We can't give up. The kind of prayer that moves and changes the heart of God is a persistent, tenacious prayer to see him move in our lives full of faith. When we don't give up, right? Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened. The question is, when did we stop knocking? When did we stop going after God? And when do we start depending on ourselves, thinking that we can actually do it on our own? Effective prayer requires faithfulness and tenacity to never give up. The question is, will we become a people of prayer? Will we become a people of prayer? So the first thing is, we have to trust and know that God is near. The second thing is that in every situation, we have to take it to God. And the last thing that I want us to talk about is that when we do take it to God, and when we do trust that he is near, that we aren't promised a change of circumstance, but God promises his peace. God promises peace. That when we take it to God, when we seek after him, what do we receive? His promise is peace. 
Can he heal? Absolutely. Can he change the circumstances? Absolutely. Can he bring restoration in your marriage? Absolutely. Is it promised? No. What are we promised? We're promised his peace that surpasses understanding. We're promised a peace that doesn't make sense to the outside world. We're promised a peace that when we should be broken, when we should be bitter, when we should be angry, and the world is out there saying, yeah, it's okay to be bitter, it's okay to be angry, that we are promised a peace that we can sit in and say we trust God completely. I don't know if you've ever experienced this kind of peace, but by the grace of God, me and my family, we've experienced it several times over the last couple years. About two, two years ago, I believe, um, I, I had the opportunity. I went to Dallas, Texas uh, to officiate my cousin's wedding. Um, I was super excited. We were in Texas. We were on this ranch, long, Longhorn cow thingies. It was great. Uh, they all got cowboy boots. Y'all are laughing. They had cowboy hats. I had skinny jeans. It fit in fantastic. Um, looked like a regular old Texan. Um, and so we're there. We, I, I arrived the day before the wedding. We do the rehearsal dinner. Um, it's, it's a fun time. It's awesome connecting with family. I go back to my room. I get in my bed and I go to sleep. And about two o'clock in the morning, my phone rings. And I don't know your lifestyle, but if my phone rings at 2 o'clock in the morning, it's never good. So I look at it, and it's our neighbor. And I answer the phone, and I'm like, hey, I'm asleep. Don't really know what's going on. Our neighbor says, don't worry. Everything's okay. No, it's not. Or you wouldn't be calling me at 2 in the morning. Like, we don't chat on the phone. Sorry. So what's going on? Why are you calling me at 2 in the morning? She says, everything's okay, but Jackie and Olivia are in the back of an ambulance on their way to the hospital. And instantly, overtaken with fear, overtaken with worry, overtaken with anxiety. And I start to shake, and my, 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 my jaw starts to shake, and I, I can't formulate thoughts. And I, I, what's going on? What, why? What, what? Literally, that's the conversation I'm having with her. And she says, Jackie went to check on Olivia, and... Olivia wasn't really breathing how she should be and called the doctors and they sent the ambulance to pick her up right away because they were afraid she was going to stop breathing. I said, well, what's happening now? She says, I don't know. And so in that moment, I sat there. I'm in Dallas, Texas. What do I do? Do I go to the airport? Do I get a flight? Do I, what, what, what can I do? What do I need to do? What's happening? What's happening? And I realized I can't do anything in this moment, that in this moment, I'm completely and utterly useless. And the only thing that I can do is to pray. And I'd love to tell you that I did this in every other situation that's similar to this, but it's not. This is just an example of where I actually chose to believe what Scripture said, and I actually saw it align with the promises of God because I sat there in this room in Texas not knowing what's happening with my daughter as she's rushed in an ambulance to the hospital. And I sit there and I say, God, I need you to bring healing to my daughter. God, I need you to breathe the breath of life into her lungs. God, I need you to give peace to my wife. I need you to give favor to the doctors. And God, I need you to give peace to me right now. And I didn't just pray it once. I prayed it for an hour straight. And it came. It didn't mean that the situation was changed. I still didn't have any more information, but I sat in that room with the thick presence of the peace of God. Why? 
because he promises us that when we go to him with everything, that he'll bring us peace. That he'll bring us peace. And I don't know about you, but sometimes it's the peace of God that we need most in our lives, even more than a yes to the prayer request or a change of circumstances. What we often need is just the peace of God. See, when brokenness and bitterness and all these things, they they have the opportunity to come in. We can sit there or we can choose to go after peace. Philippians 4, 7, it says, And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. It doesn't say that when you pray, everything's going to change or when you pray, everything's going to be perfect. It says that we get the peace of God, that it will guard our hearts. And this word guard here in the Greek is phoreo. It's a lot of R's that are typed on my page. And it means to protect by military guard, either to prevent a hostile invasion or to keep the inhabitants of a besieged city from flight. It's to protect and to guard against a hostile invasion. It's almost as if it's saying that when tragedy strikes, when that diagnosis comes, when that marriage seems to be falling apart, when that, st- that child is far from God, when those circumstances come and the fear and the anxiety and the worry come our way, it's almost as if it's saying that when we go after God, the promise of his peace comes and wraps his arms around us and protects us from the hostile invasions of the lies of the enemy. And I don't know the lies of the enemy that are coming after you or the arrows that are coming your way. But what I do know is that the promised peace of God can be your guard. You don't have to do it on your own. You don't have to do it on your own understanding or with your own might or your own will. But you can do it with the peace of God. So the question is, what's taking over your life right now? What's taking control? Where have you stopped praying? Where have you stopped asking God to move in favor and in hope and in peace? What do you need God to do? Not just bring physical healing or relational healing, but in what situation do you need to feel the peace of God? Paul, in true pastor form here, wraps up this section of scripture in verse 8. He starts it out by saying, finally... And then he goes on for 15 more verses. So finally, let's end with verse 8. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Paul says, shift your eyes, shift your focus, shift your vision from the anxiety and the depression and the worry and the situation. Take your focus off of that and put it onto Jesus because he can bring the peace. Why? Because he's the author and the perfecter of our faith. He says, shift your eyes and think about the things that are true. Think about the things that are true. Think about the word of God. Do we have the word of God hidden in our hearts so that when the attacks, when the lies of the enemy come, we can think about what's true. Think about what's lovely. In the broken, dark moments of your lives, 
think about the things that bring life. For me, I think about my wife. I think about my kids. And in those moments, it might not change the circumstance, but I think about whatever is lovely and brings a little bit of peace. Think about what is praiseworthy. What is praiseworthy? Our God is always worthy of praise no matter the situation. Our God is worthy of praise not because of our circumstances, but through our circumstances. We should be willing to offer up a praise and think about our God because his faithfulness and his goodness. Because he loves us and he sees us. So think on such things. Why? Why do we think about those things? Because when those things become our focus, we begin to see the goodness of God. We begin to see the faithfulness of God. We begin to experience the rest and the peace of God that surpasses all understanding. So where is it today for you? That you need to sit. You need to cry after God. You need to ask him to bring that peace that he promises. And doing it over and over and over again until we experience the peace that he prays, that he promises. So when we sit in that peace, when we've received that peace, we trust and know that God is good, we can finally, God, I trust you. God, I see you. Let's pray. Jesus, we come before you. God, we thank you that you are faithful. Thank you that you are truthful. God, I thank you that you see us, that you know us, that you're near to us. And God, for every person in this room, everybody watching outside in the courtyard and everybody watching online, God, I pray that we would experience your peace right now in the name of Jesus. And God, I thank you that you are powerful enough to change the circumstances. So God, we do ask for healing. We do ask for restoration. We do ask for things to move and chains to be broken and addictions to fall. But God, we sit here in eager expectation of your promised peace. So bring it. Maybe we're sitting in this room today and we've never given our lives to Jesus to be our Lord and Savior and you're saying, my life is a wreck, my world is a mess and I need the peace of God. I'm here to tell you that it can only be found in a relationship with Jesus Christ. And so if you're here in this room or watching online, outside, you want to give your life to Jesus saying, I'm choosing to make you my Lord, to, to be my Savior, the one that saves me from my, my, my sin and my brokenness. Jesus, I need you. I need your peace. If that's you, I just want you to raise your hand so I can pray for you. Thank you, Jesus. And maybe you're here. You say, I've been going after Jesus. I'm tired. I'm hurt. I'm broken, I'm stuck in this darkness, and I need his peace. If you just need his peace today, I just want you to raise your hand. Jesus, would you give peace where it's needed? Would you reveal yourself powerfully to your children? May we experience your love, your peace, in Jesus' name.